started here. We're on session one. Um, and so if you turn, pull out the, the page with session one, we'll pick up with our Bible feasts, Bible study by singing the hymn that's there on the front of session one, from all that dwell below the skies. And uh, got to make sure we start on the right note here again, because doesn't mean that I'll continue to sing in the right key, but we'll start the right key. From all that dwell below the skies, let the Creator's praise arise. Alleluia, alleluia, let the Redeemer's name be sung. Praise your wonders, O Lord. 
your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right. We did, uh, we spent the entire time last time going through question number one. Um, and uh, question number two begins a lot like it, except it looks at a different place in Scripture and says, make a list of all the feasts and festivals that are listed there. And that's from Leviticus 23. Because of time, um, I'm just going to kind of read through them. They are a lot of repeats. Uh, and that's because God's making sure that we know all the details. So uh, we have the Passover. We have the Sabbath. We have the Feast of first fruits. We have the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, and those are the ones that are mentioned there in num uh, sorry, Leviticus number 23. We have another list in Numbers 28 and 20, or we have the list we went through last time, Numbers 28 and 29. And question B says, uh, how does the list differ? Um, and the big difference is this. Numbers tells a lot of details, while Leviticus explains why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and, and I know we could read through those and talk about it probably in more detail, but we're going to on a more individual basis. So I hope it's okay that we just kind of went through those couple questions a little bit quicker. Question C, 2C, is the one, though, that I think we do need to spend a little bit of time on. What is the point of God giving all of these offerings and feasts and festivals and their days and their months? Um, why does God take the time to do all of this? Last week, we just hardly scratched the surface and we spent an entire hour... <laughs> <laughs> right? So they wouldn't forget them. So they wouldn't forget them. Why doesn't God want them to be forgotten? I wrote to maintain obedience and uh, maintain closeness to God. Okay. That's um, definitely a part of it. What are they gaining out of their obedience in, in terms of celebrating the feasts? Yeah, preparation for Jesus coming. All of these feasts and festivals, and we just kind of mentioned it a little bit last time, find their fulfillment in Jesus and who he is and why he's come. And 
God spends a lot of time in the scriptures teaching about what to look for when the Messiah comes. This isn't implied, right? It's, this is not implied. You know, we always say we want to back up everything with scripture. Right. So I guess that's where I struggled, struggled with uh, this question was I kind of thought I, I was asking me to draw a conclusion rather oh. than here it is. Yeah. You know, like the Ten Commandments are pretty explicit. Uh, not up to me to draw any conclusion. There it is. And that's where, that's, uh, you're right, we don't want to just jump to this conclusion that all these are fulfilled in Christ, uh, or that the Old Testament is all teaching us about Jesus. But when we look at the feasts and the festivals, we see that taking place. Even things like a really straightforward, easy one is the Feast of the Passover. It's instituted as a remembrance of the Exodus when the plagues came and the final plague was the plague of the firstborn. And to be saved, you took the lamb's blood and you marked the door so that death would pass over you. And inside the door, you ate unleavened bread so that in the morning, you'd be ready to go and leave Egypt. Um, and we see this fulfilled then in Jesus on the cross who becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And instead of marking the doors with blood, instead Jesus marks us with blood in the waters of holy baptism so that now we belong to God and death passes us over. Even if we die, yet shall we live. And the unleavened bread we now have the fulfillment of that in the Lord's Supper, uh, where we eat the bread that is actually Christ's body, and we drink the wine that's actually Christ's blood. We could even go further and say, okay, they crossed the Red Sea on their way into the Promised Land, but Pharaoh and his army were drowned and died. And the same thing happens to us in the waters of holy baptism again, where our sinful nature is drowned to die as a new man lives and enters into God's kingdom as a citizen. And so we're not jumping to conclusions uh, and trying to force Jesus into these, but rather when we look at the entire picture of Scripture, these things jump out. And, and so I hope that kind of makes sense a little bit. Yeah. Um, so God wants us to focus and look forward to his son Jesus. And um, it requires the people to go to church. Um, and I'm, there I'm forcing our modern terms onto the old world, right? To synagogue or to temple, to Jerusalem, and to be in the word at these places. Because that's a part of the feasts and festivals as well. Not just sacrifices, but the priests would read God's word. And again, Passover is a good example. Passover, you got together with your family and you read God's word together while you ate the bread and celebrated the Passover together. And that's the same thing we see in scripture with Jesus and the disciples on Monday, Thursday. So God brings the word and, and in these feasts requires his people to be there to hear the word and to 
look forward through the word to Jesus. All right. Questions? Other questions? All right. Then we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 14. Deuteronomy 14. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Anyone want to read those? You are the children of the Lord, your God. Do not cut yourself or shave the front of your head for the dead, for you are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God, out of all the people on the... Sorry. You're okay. You're right. <laughs> yep. You had two words left of the face of the earth. Okay. Yep. I guess that's more than two, but just a little bit there. So, um, we have this question. Oh, let's let's read Matthew five also here. Let's read Matthew five also because we'll just try and go through all these. Matthew five. 17 through 30. And that's a little bit longer than just two verses. So if we want to rotate through, we can do that also. Matthew 5. Now when you hear Matthew 5, what do you think of? There are words of Jesus from his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 is the beginning of that. Um, where the Beatitudes are. We're going to be right after that a little bit. So starting at verse 17. Do you want to start the rain in the front and we'll just work our way around? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law
argued that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you're right, I promise you Question three says this. The children of Israel, God's Old Testament people, were descendants of Jacob. On Mount Sinai, God gave them, through Moses, the Ten Commandments, the moral law. This law expresses God's holiness and his command that his people be holy just as he is. Besides these moral laws, which he inscribed on tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, God gave ceremonial laws to Israel. The biblical feasts are included in these. Both the moral and the ceremonial laws are included in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. An exhausting list of do's and don'ts. Uh, and exhausting, this was an example that we read from Deuteronomy 14. What are the two don'ts that were listed there? We read those from Deuteronomy. Don't cut yourself. Yeah. Don't make yourself bald. Yeah. Don't cut yourself. Uh, and don't shave the front of your head for the dead. Right? Meaning in mourning. The idea that and they did do some outward signs of mourning, right? So, for example, we know Job. Uh, when Job was cursed, if you will, what did he do? He sat in ashes and he wore sackcloth. Uh, or when people died, what did you do? You covered yourself in ashes. You sat in sackcloth. Sometimes you tore your clothes. And that was an outward sign that you are mourning. But God's specific about what things you can do and what things you cannot do. You cannot cut yourself in mourning or in sadness or anything like that. And you also are not supposed to shave. Yeah, okay. And I, I suppose, I'd have to look, but I, I suppose, in my understanding, it'd be more of like I shave my beard to show that I'm really sad about something. Because the beard is the sign of, of uh, well, you, you still see this, right? Jewish people today, what do they have? They have the curls because they're not supposed to shave. And it used to be your whole beard, but now what do they say? They just live that little uh, sideburns, right? And they, they let those grow out. So God says you're not supposed to do those things. And the cutting part, did you see the movie um, Dances with Wolves? Yeah. You remember the lady who had been kidnapped and, and was with the Sioux and then had married the Sioux warrior and he had died? And uh, he finds her out in the middle of the plains and she had been cutting herself? 
as a sign of mourning her dead husband. God says those things are forbidden. But ashes are okay. But ashes are okay. Yes. And I don't know that. I don't think they're Jewish. You know. It was a across the board thing in the ancient world. Yep. Yep. And even, so we say sackcloth, which is, um, it's not your nice clothes, it's, it's crummy clothes, but we still have a similar thing today, right? When someone dies, what do you do? You. It used to be wore black, right? And some, some still do that a little bit, but it's an outward sign of mourning. God says some things you can do, like ashes and sackcloth, and some things you cannot do, like cutting yourself or shaving your beard. Okay? All right. So that's just kind of a random thing, isn't it? There's lots of those random things um, that God commands his people to set them apart. The question is, and this is question number four, why? Why did God give this no-cutting prohibition? What did it mean in relation to the pagan customs of the time? Uh, and it has us read a couple passages here. Let's start with 1 Kings 18, which I hope is a familiar passage. 1 Kings 18. We have, if you look at the top of 1 Kings 18... You see, it's when Elijah confronts Ahab and all the prophets of Baal. Okay, and we want to look at a specific part, verses 27 and 28. 1 Kings 18, 27 and 28. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is uh, musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. All right. What's the thing that these priests of Baal are doing to try and evoke a response from their God? Yeah, they're cutting themselves, pouring out their own blood to this fake God to say, come and do what we want, light this sacrifice on fire. And they're, I mean, the way it says there, their blood is covering them up because they've cut themselves so many times. Okay? So why does God say the people of Israel shouldn't do it? Yeah, because the pagans are doing it. All right. Um, let's look at then Leviticus 19:28 and also Leviticus 21:5. 
God says it in more than one place, and the reason is, is because that's what the pagans do. And God does not want his people doing things that the pagans do. Now, um, well, we'll just leave that. We'll come back to it. We, we struggle with that sometimes now, don't we? And this has always been a struggle. Because we live in this world, and is the world Christian? No. So, um, there are some pagan things that we kind of do still, right? Um, and maybe let's not get into the details of that, but God desires it not to be so. He wants to be the one true God. He wants to, he gives us the first commandment, and these really deal with that. All right, five, what is the motivation that God appeals to as he gives these commands? For them to remember the rules. Okay, for them to remember, I like, and yes, we have the rules. The rules are there so that they remember, we, this is a repeat kind of, they remember, yeah, that they're God's people set apart from all the other people of the world. Set apart for what purpose? Salvation. Salvation through Jesus that's going to be born through them. That's the motivation. His love for them, he's chosen them to be the people that the Savior will be born in. And through. So it's talking about the motivation in the people? Um, the motivation. What's that? Is that kind of the way that the question is structured? I thought he was. Uh, what's the motivation in the people, in God's people that he's appealing to? Yeah. The motivation in the people is that they are his people. Yes. And since they are his people that he's taken under his wing and made these promises to, they should act a particular way. If you want to be my people, do these things. Right. And uh, we, we understand that a little bit, right? So I'm, I've, I've gone with you. I sat next to you at a football game, Leonard, mm -hmm. and I see your sweatshirt. Okay. We are the people of Nebraska. And so we act a particular way at a f football game, right? Right. The, um, if someone on the other team gets hurt, what do Nebraska football fans do when he gets up to walk off? <laughs> Clap like, yeah, he's hurt, woo! Or what? Yeah, he's okay. That he's okay and able to walk, right? out of respect. Or, I think now this is a newer thing, in the fourth quarter, what do they do? They play that Irish 
sounding dance song, right? About our, we're the Husker Nation, I don't know how it goes, okay? But we always do that sort of thing. The band always sits in the same spot. Because we are Nebraska people, that's the way we act. Same thing here, they are God's people, and so as, as a result, they act a particular way. Even the silly things like shaving your beard and um, uh, cutting yourself. Right. So now that we know that, Ken, we'll have to just leave our beards. Just let them. No, All right. Now, six. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law at Jesus' time were good people on the whole. Many of them felt that they were outstanding in their keeping of the Torah. How does Jesus puncture theirs and ours claims? that our keeping the law is good enough. And that's where we read from Matthew. What did Jesus say to them? It's your thoughts. <laughs> yes, there's more to sin than you think. So we dealt with a couple things, right? We dealt with um, anger. God says, you shall not murder, right? So I could say, I've never murdered Lorraine. I'm a shoe in for him. But I really like to. <laughs> <laughs> but if you think but that's the thing, right? <laughs> but Jesus says, it's not just that I haven't murdered her, but if I have said, um, you fool to her, or about her behind her back. Or we have that word raka, which is kind of the ancient version of um, moron, or you know, what do they always call Charlie Brown? Uh, you blockhead, right? That's the ancient version of that. If you have those things, if you're angry, then you are guilty and liable to go to Hell, Jesus says. Now, um, my daughter's here, and she rides with me to and from Bible study in my car. Have I ever been angry at other drivers? Like, have, tell me if you've ever said this. You have a blinker for a reason. Why don't you use it? Is it anybody else? Just me. Okay. Um, we could go through lots of things. Jesus says if we think those thoughts and we're just angry, even at someone we don't know, we're liable for hell. How about lust? We, uh, we read about that also. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery. And ladies... I know it says if you look at a woman, but it also could be if you look at, like, uh, boy, Cary Grant, right? Or um, Richard, Gere. Richard Gere. Okay, there we go. Um, Elvis. Elvis? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who your teen heartthrob was. 
Uh, and, and guys, I'm sure you have, have had those as well. If you look at them and you think more than they look like a reasonably nice human being, what does Jesus say? You've committed adultery. How many of us have done that then? All of us, right? Okay. So, the whole point... <laughs> Football players in tight pants. There we go. <laughs> that's, that's a part of being a Nebraskan at a football game. No, just okay? All these things are sin. And so, Jesus, as it says in the question, punctures or bursts our thoughts about ourselves by getting into the nitty-gritty details of the law. And what he does then is he is, here just a second, Jesus punctures our self-thought and shows our sin so that we realize we don't get into heaven because of ourselves. What's the only reason that Pastor Moline is going to be in heaven? Because of Jesus dying on the cross. Um, what's the only way Lorraine is going to be in heaven? Lorraine will never sit in the front again, right? <laughs> because Jesus died for her in her sin. And it goes for every single one of us. Christ dies, and that's why we're saved. Not because we don't shave our faces, not because we don't cut ourselves. We are only saved because of Jesus. We're not good enough. Questions or thoughts on that? You're talking about the thought convicting you. So there's a, this female NASCAR driver who got caught playing a video game, and uh, there was a there's drivers in front of her and behind her. And she says, who's that moron behind me? Stop doing that. Uh, she, had to, she had to apologize. Yeah. <laughs> well, and... Um, I don't know what the punishment would be. <laughs> that's the thing, right? In, in the public world, right now they have no problem convicting people of sin. But what do they have a problem? Looking at their own. Well, if we're looking at their own, sure. Forgiving sin, right? When someone made a mistake at one time, our society does what to them now? Eliminates them, right? Cancel. Cancel culture, yeah, cancels. Um, we don't have any way to forgive in our society, which is why it's good that we're in the church. Because, let's turn it around, even if Lorraine hated my guts and wanted to kill me, you know, last week, this week we're better. <laughs> what, what do I have the ability to do? Forgive, Forgive her. Not, not just because I'm such a nice guy, but because Jesus died for her. And that's the basis for the forgiveness here. Or if I, you know, desired to murder her the other way around, she could forgive me. I hope. <laughs> All right.
Question seven then. How does Jesus fulfill and accomplish the law? We read that passage from Matthew 5. Uh, let's read specifically 17 and 18. That's where he says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. How does Jesus do that? By being born. By being Yes. He's God, but he puts himself under the law in his birth. Meaning, he's there to fulfill it all. He's circumcised. He keeps the rules that God put out in the Bible. He does everything perfectly. Even to the point while, I mean, the ultimate thing is he dies on the cross. Even while he's dying on the cross, he's still keeping the law. He's still focused on taking care of other people. We know this. What's he say to John? John, this is my mom. Mom, this is John. Take care of him. Right? Take care of her. What's that? And he forgives, even from the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The thief on the cross. Yes. And so, in all these ways, Jesus is actively and passively fulfilling all of God's law perfectly on our behalf. So, again, we're saved because of Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled the law for us. And so, we can pick on, um, pick on Ella now, right? Ella, who stole a car, when God looks at her, God doesn't see a thief, right? She could hardly see over the steering wheel. God doesn't see a thief. God sees Jesus, who was perfect. And this is the same idea in our baptismal language. We say someone who's baptized has been clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness that covers all their sin. Um, if I put on a Pastor Poppy costume, when you looked at me, you'd think, oh, that's Pastor Poppy, right? I'd have a cigar and I'd have a different kind of shirt, right? Um, you, I'd look like him. Well, we're not clothed with Pastor Poppy costumes. We're clothed with Jesus' righteousness so that when God sees us, he sees Jesus. All right, questions? It says we can also read 2 Corinthians 5.21. So that we can make sure Pastor Moline's not making these things up. 2 Corinthians 5.21 and Hebrews 4.15. 2 The great exchange. He takes our sin, we take his righteousness. All right, Hebrews 4, 15. 
the one who in every respect has exempted as we are, yet without sin. He fulfilled the law perfectly. All right. Questions or thoughts? All right, let's go to Genesis 12 then. Genesis 12. This is great. This is where Abraham is called um, from his homeland in Haran, well, before that, Ur, uh, and called to leave all that stuff behind and follow God. So let's read Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Anyone? Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, this is great. Um, we should have our confirmation kids talk about it, right? Because um, who's this all pointing forward to again? This is Jesus uh, that is being promised ultimately. So we'll get there. Uh, question 8 says, list the seven parts of that promise God makes to Abram. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. And it starts at verse 2. I will make you a great nation. That's the first one. I will make you a great nation. Second. Yes, I will bless you, and um, this kind of goes together. Yeah, I will bless you. Then the next one is what? Yes, they go together. Those are two separate ones. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Okay, so great nation. I will bless you. And when, when Leonard is reading this, didn't you feel like you had to sneeze for a second? How many times I say, bless you? <laughs> I will bless you. I will make your name great. Um... I will make you a great nation. Fourth, you will become a blessing. You will be a blessing. Um, next one. Curse them. Okay? And there's one between the cursing and you will be a blessing. Because the opposite of that is also true, right? I will bless those who bless you. Okay? So, make you a great nation. I will bless you. Make your name great. You'll be a blessing. Bless those who bless you. And curse those who curse you. And the last one is the most important one. What's it say? The people of the earth. All the people of the earth 
will be blessed in you. Now that's a really important part of this blessing and promise. Okay, and question nine, uh, let's ask the question and then we can answer this, okay? How and when did the last part of that blessing come true? The, the birth and the work of Jesus Christ. Okay? And that makes sense because, let's be honest, we are people living in the United States in the year 2021. Abraham was a man living in the Middle East in the year 2021 BC, 4,000 years ago. How has Abraham been a blessing for you? It's not like you inherited some land from him. You're not, most of us, I'll just say that, most of us are not genetically descended from him, right? Is anybody who's part Jewish? Yeah, I think so. Um, have you received anything from Abraham? You ever met any of his immediate family? No, right? They're all dead. How are we blessed by Abraham? His family line leads to Jesus. And in Jesus, we have been blessed, given eternal life, our sins forgiven, taken away. All right? Yes, which, um, and this is um, proclaiming the one, I think next week or the week after, we have a text about this uh, with the conversion of St. Paul. Um, Abraham gave up everything to listen to God's word. St. Paul gave up his life to listen to God's word. And Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, um, whoever gives up family, father, land, uh, all that stuff for me will be blessed. That's the reality. In Jesus, we've been blessed and we follow the example of Abraham in that faith. Okay? Um, let's look at Acts 3 then, too, just to make sure this is matching up. Alright, Acts chapter 3, verses 24 through 26. This is Peter speaking, and he says the same thing. 
And he says, You are the sons of the prophets and the sons of the covenant God made with your fathers. And he's not just speaking to the people there. He's also speaking to who? You, me. God raised up Jesus, sent him to us to bless us by turning us away from our wickedness. In Jesus, the promise made to Abraham is fulfilled. And that's, so we got Adelaide here. That's what we try and teach you in the first two years of confirmation, right? Okay? That Jesus is the fulfillment of all the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. Okay. Clock here. Question 10. What was so great about Abraham's faithfulness in the face of the promise that God gave him? And let's look at Genesis 11, verse 30 here, to help us get our bearings. Lots of flipping back and forth today, isn't there? When I went to Lincoln Lutheran for high school, we finished our religion textbook about three weeks before the end of the school year. We still had to go to class. So the teacher brought in giant bags of um, Twizzlers, and he would read out a Bible passage, like he'd say, Job 10, verse 8. And the first person to turn there and read Job 10, verse 8, got a Twizzler. And so flipping back and forth like that, we learned where all the books in our Bible were really quick because we like Twizzlers. So uh, Genesis 11, verse 30. Now, how does that fit in with God's promise? In your offspring, all the world will be blessed. What's the problem? Sarah doesn't have, isn't having any babies. Okay. Um, let's, let's keep going. Question 11 then, because we're going to talk about this. Abraham trusts the promise, and yet he sees the problem at the same time. He's not having babies. So 11, Abraham was not always so faithful. He sinned as we do. Give an instance of Abraham's lack of trust in God and discuss the results of that action. Genesis 16. Just quick skim that. This is, this is really a good one. What happens in Genesis 16? Yeah. Okay. And this is, I think, a good example of lots of times people try to do what they think God wants to have happen. The, the promise... What's that? Try to fix it themselves. Yes. The promise is to Abraham... Through your offspring, the whole world's going to be blessed. But Abraham says, uh, we're not having any babies. And Sarah says, we're not having any babies. Abraham and Sarah, and it looks mostly Sarah here, says, well, God made this promise. 
Let's make it happen now. Here's my servant, my slave, Hagar. She can bear a child, and that child will be the one that God had promised. Now, is that what God had said? No, and we know that's not what God intended, even because when Abraham went down into Egypt and Pharaoh saw Sarah and said, there's a good-looking lady, he tried to marry Sarah. What happened to Pharaoh and his household? Got sick. And God told him, you can't marry that lady. She's already married to Abraham because through her and Abraham is going to be the promise. Okay? So, they try to take matters in their own hands. What comes about as a result? A baby. A baby named Ishmael. Okay? Um, what do you know about Ishmael? A great nation comes from him. Yep. The people who are now Muslims believe they're descended from Ishmael. It also caused problems for Abraham and his home. Because what happens when you have more than one wife in the home? Chaos. Chaos, jealousy. And in case you didn't believe that from reading the Bible, our modern-day society is so crazy, we have TV shows about it. Yeah. Like uh, uh, Big Love or uh, Sister, Wives. Sister Wives. There, I couldn't think of the word. Sister Wives. And what's the whole show about? Polygamy. Well, <laughs> well, what part of polygamy? The wives are always jealous of each other behind each other's backs. In front of their faces, well, what do they do? Oh, everything's perfect. But then when they do the breakaway, I can't stand it that my husband is spending the night with Susie, wife number two. He seems like he likes her better than me. Right? <laughs> Maybe you haven't watched it. Maybe that's good. <laughs> that's what they're about. Okay? Well, I've never watched Sister Wives. I've seen it advertised, but there was a documentary about it that I watched on Netflix a while ago about these people that live in, a, in houses on the edge of this mesa. Same thing. It's always conflict. Okay? This happens between Hagar and Sarah because now that Hagar's born Abraham's child, she thinks... She doesn't need to be the servant and the slave anymore. Look, I'm a better wife than you, Sarah, because I have a baby. Which makes Sarah jealous. So she treats Hagar like garbage. <laughs> and sends Hagar away. And Hagar runs away and almost dies in the wilderness. Yes. Right. And it's all, I mean, what's behind it, you're exactly right. What's behind it is trying to take God's words, his promises, 
into our own hands and define them in our own ways. Whenever you do that, it causes problems. Okay? All right. Um, we also have... Yeah. Um, you see how she opened that can of worms with one minute left in class. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are we doing with that? We're taking God's promises from marriage and we're twisting it and making it into our own thing. And it holds the potential to cause lots of problems because what's disappearing as a result? Yes. Do you think that will be good in the long run? I don't think it will be good either. I think it will cause lots of problems in the long run. We're just at the beginning of figuring out what that will be. And that's where we need to repent and trust in the word all the more and speak the truth about the word every opportunity that we get. Maybe that's, that's a good short answer to a, a big question there. Um, that's what we have time for. So we'll pick up there um, next week. And I think we'll have the vicar teach it next week. So we'll pick up there uh, on that page. The market here. Yeah, we'll start with 12. Should we close with the Lord's Prayer then? Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.